0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We're trying to shine as lights to a lost world. We're trying to live as salt in the earth. We're trying to go out and live for Jesus and, and, and go out and do the work that he wants us to do. We have an adversary that's trying to stop that. The Bible tells us, though, that we're going to be victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.
1: We battle a very real enemy who seeks to stop our efforts to build up the kingdom of God. By the power given to us through the Holy Spirit, we are able to not only resist Satan, as it says in 1 Peter, but we already have been given victory over the enemy because of Jesus. With more out of our message from 1 Peter 5, 5 5-14, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Leading is simply
0: leading. You're going on together and you're leading the way as Christ loved the church and died for the church. And so the, the, the submission is to be a, a submission that comes from our hearts willing to yield. Real leaders know how to yield. When, when you have a, there, there are a lot of bad pastors out there. There's a lot of bad pastors that lead poorly. A lot of them. And most of it is because of insecurities, quite frankly. They just feel insecure. And so, you know, anybody questioning them, they're threatened by that. But but a pastor that's been placed there by God, who knows knows he's there by God, really doesn't have a problem when someone challenges him. Because you want to be willing to yield too. To know, hey, anybody can correct anybody. And and look at what it says. It says, going back to 1 Peter, it says, uh, Young men, likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. If we put on a garment of humility, then we aren't saying, you know what, I'm in charge and therefore what I say goes. If we're clothed with humility because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, God resists the proud person. You don't, you don't want God resisting you. The Bible says one of the seven things that God hates is a proud look. And that is that God is on the side of the humble, but he is against the prideful. I believe that we cannot become too humble. I don't think it's possible. Become as humble as you can and then become even more humble. Because the Bible tells us that God's on the side of the humble. And I want God on my side. In fact, he goes on to tell us something else about humility. He says in in verse 6, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's like, that's almost like drawing a picture. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because if you don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then God's going to humble you. D.L. Moody, no, I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, actually, who used to say, humble or stumble. Humble yourself or you're going to stumble. Humble or stumble. There, There is this sense of knowing that if I exalt myself, God's going to bring me down. And if I bring myself down, that God is the one who exalts It says in verse six, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus took a a portion of this when he sat down with the rabbis. Remember when he was at their house and they rushed to the table to take the best seat and he sat down in the worst seat. He said, when you're invited over to someone's house, don't take the best seat, but take the worst seat. When you're, so that when you're invited up, everyone can see it. So our desire is Our desire is not that God would exalt us as individuals, but our desire is that God would would be exalted, his glory would be exalted as we humble ourselves before the Lord. I also never pray, God humble me. Because to me, that is probably the most frightening prayer you could ever pray. Whenever I've prayed, I probably have prayed it a couple of times, but I always correct it. Lord, And I just pray that you would humble me. I mean, Lord, help me to humble myself. Because... I don't know that I want God humbling me. Maybe it would do good. Maybe it would be a good prayer. Maybe if God humbled me, I'd end up being a better person in the end. But Lord, just help me humble myself. (laughs) Help me humble myself because it seems to me to be a lot easier to be humbled by by myself than to have God humble me. But there's no problem with submission if we humble ourselves. There's gonna be no problem in a family, in a home, between a husband and a wife, if both are humble. If the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church and and, and God's able to do a work within them, humble yourself. He then changes the topics and gives us this one little verse, which is a great verse, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. One of my best friends has this verse on the motor on his boat. It's a fishing boat, it's a bass boat. Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. But it's his favorite verse, not because it has casting on there and it's a play on it. But it's his favorite verse because this is a, I think it was Charles Swindoll who said that 1 Peter 5, 7 is a pillow for the hurting soul. There's just something comfortable about this verse. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Just something so comforting about the fact that we have a God who really does care for us and that we can take anything that we are struggling with and we can cast it before him. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 4, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which guards your heart and mind will be given to you. God will give you a peace that will guard your heart and mind. You got cares now, the cares of this world. Maybe worrying about children or grandchildren. You know, when you have a baby, immediately you lose sleep. My son's about to have his, his first boy. And I looked at him now and I said, you getting any sleep now? Because you should get it now. There's the time coming. You're not going to get much sleep. As tough as newborn babies are, you, you lack sleep and they're crying all the time and you got to change their diaper. As, as tough as they are, they're nothing compared to adult children. Nothing. I'd rather have to change a diaper over and over again than deal with adult children because you worry about them so much. I have to cast my cares. I'm going to take all three of my children are out now. They're gone. They're, they're out doing their own thing. And I find myself worrying about them, coming back to God and saying, okay, everything with prayer and supplication. Lord, I lift up my kids. So casting all of your cares, whatever it is you might be worried about today, that you can cast upon him and know that they are taken care of because God cares about you. God cares about you. He wants the best for you. All things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, he, he moves into a section now, verses 8 and 9, and he is wrapping the book up now. He's kind of wrapping up where we are and he wants to remind us that we have a very real enemy and we need to be watchful because the enemy is looking for someone whom he can destroy. It says in verse 8, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, each one of these next verses could be, could be taught on their own, could be their own message. Uh, Be sober and vigilant. The word sober there means self-controlled and vigilant means watchful. Be self-controlled and be watchful. Realize that you have an adversary. There is someone who's against you. There's someone, what is an adversary? It's someone that's on the opposite side. It's someone that's trying to do the opposite of what you're trying to do. And so what are we doing? We're trying to shine as lights to a lost world. We're trying to live as salt in the earth. We're trying to go out and live for Jesus and, and, and go out and do the work that he wants us to do. We have an adversary that's trying to stop that. The Bible tells us, though, that we're going to be victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And and, and it might be scary. Lions weigh, they can get as big as 550 pounds. And lions are, you know, sometimes house cats can be vicious, right? (laughs) A lion, did you ever see the movie The Ghost in the Darkness? I think it had Val Kilmer and michael douglas right i think but it was about a true story about two lions two male lions that ended up killing over 140 people that were working on a railroad two lions they it ended up killing people that went to hunt the lions the lion ended up killing them it was almost like they were possessed lions the interesting thing about these lions is they're they were maneless they were male lions but they didn't have any manes. And I think they're in the, they're actually stuffed. They actually eventually killed them, and they're in the Field Museum uh, in Chicago. But that'll give you some idea as to how powerful a lion is. That these two, their brothers, uh, were able, if that's what you call lions who are siblings, um, these two brothers were able to kill 140 people. Now, but I will have you note this. It says, he walks about like a roaring lion. Doesn't say... He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He walks around like a roaring lion. One pastor said, he's a roaring lion because he doesn't have any teeth. He can't really seek his teeth into you. But I think that maybe, I understand what he's saying, but I think that maybe we ought to have a little more respect for the battle. A little more respect to understand that that his schemes have been used for a lot of years. And if I'm not careful, his schemes will work against me. That's why it says, be self-controlled. Because if I'm not self-controlled, then I give I give the devil a place and the Bible says give no no place to the enemy and watchful because I ought to be aware that the enemy wants to come after me and he's seeking who he can devour. If he can devour you, he's looking to be able to do that. But he's like a roaring lion because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion. And if you're scared of the devil, if you read passages like this and you think, oh, I wish that these verses weren't here. I'm so worried about the devil. So scared he's going to come get me at night. You hear noises in the middle of the night. Satan's after me. Well, you have Jesus on your side, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible even says that he will be victorious. And so it says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy would love to make you ineffective. That's his goal. His goal is to devour you. His goal is to destroy you. Again, one pastor said that that Satan's greatest desire, if you're a sleeping Christian, he'll rock the cradle. His his greatest desire is that you don't understand who you truly are in Christ, nor the battle that you are in, or the souls that hang in, in the balance of the battle that we are in. He is a, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then we get a little bit of uh, spiritual warfare. It says, resist him, steadfast in the faith. Now, this isn't the only place that the Bible says to resist the devil. The Bible says in another place, resist him and he will flee from you. Solomon said, there is no end to the writing of books. And there have been many books written on spiritual warfare. And over the last 30 years, there are so many books that have come out with all kinds of bizarre ideas on spiritual warfare. Some of them claiming that Christians can be demon possessed. I believe firmly that a Christian cannot be demon possessed. Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Jesus didn't say greater is he that is in you than he that is in you. I remember talking to one guy who believed that Christians could be possessed. And he said, you don't understand. There's compartments inside of us. And the devil's in one compartment and God's in the other compartment. Where, where exactly is that here? The compartment part. I was just kind of wondering. Is that in Second Opinions, Chapter 3, or is it in First Opinions, Chapter 4? I, I don't know. Another guy said, well, the devil can influence you by percentages. And if you get influenced by 5%, then you're just oppressed by the devil. But if you get to 80%, then you're possessed by the devil. What is that? Third opinions or second opinions? Again, why are we taking things that aren't biblical when we have the word of God that's been given to us? The Bible says we overcome him, Satan, the dragon. This is Revelation chapter 12. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. How do we overcome him with those? By the blood of the lamb, because my sins are forgiven. And if my sins are forgiven, then how is Satan going to accuse me He's the accuser. That's the word devil is here. The devil walks around. That's the word accuser. He accuses us day and night before the throne of God. But I love Romans 8, 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Then there's no condemnation for you. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. So somebody else says, well, the blood of the lamb is pleading the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And if you say that over and over again, a demon will have to leave. And so they write a book about it and then people are doing that. There's some poor guy that they get into the corner room of a church and they plead the blood, they plead the blood, they plead the blood, they plead the blood, they plead the blood. Plead the blood. And sooner or later, they, you know, it's now devil, come out of him. Now devil, who are you? What's your name? And sooner or later, the guy starts talking back as if he's, you know, possessed. I'm not saying that there's not real possessed people out there. I'm just saying that you put somebody in the room for four or five hours and talk to them like they're possessed. And pretty soon they say, leave me alone. <laughs> they're not possessed at all. I just want to get out of this room. I'll say anything you want to say, you weird people. (laughs) So we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is our story. It's our story on how we got saved. I used to think that my testimony was so lame. Basically, I grew up in church, got saved while I was in the Methodist church, ended up backsliding for a year and coming back to Christ. And I used to think there's nothing exciting about it, especially when I would hear stories of people that got in car wrecks, their car rolled over five times, they were thrown outside of the window and miraculously survived. Or these guys were, were you know, uh, Ray Carter from Calvary Chapel of Lake Havasu was a bodyguard for a drug dealer and actually ran drugs in planes, flying, running drugs. I'd hear those and go, oh, I, wanna, I want a good testimony. <laughs> I want a... And some people have even made up testimonies. We had one guy who was a staff evangelist at the Foursquare Church that me and Lisa attended, and uh, he told everybody that he was a baseball player, professional baseball player. Only we found out he never played professional baseball, which was really kind of a drag because when you're learning from someone and growing, and you find out that they were just lying about their testimony, it was just like such a drag. So I, re- I really liked him. I mean, I thought he was a professional baseball player. Of course I liked him. I wanted to be around him. Hey, I know a professional baseball player. Nah, not really. But you know what I learned? I learned that whenever I share my testimony, whenever I take time to tell my story, the details about it, it is so powerful. People are touched. They're moved because it's my story and it's a real story. It's not a made-up story. It's a real story about how God had mercy on a kid that who knows what would have happened to me if God hadn't had that mercy on me. And when I tell that story, people are moved by it. It's powerful. And you know what? So is yours. Because it's a true story. Do your your children know your testimony? Does your spouse know your testimony? Does your family know your testimony? Take every opportunity you have to be able to share your testimony because we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so he says, resist him, verse 9, steadfast in the faith. That reminds me of the armor. You're to put on the armor, it says in Ephesians. Put on the armor of God and then stand and pray. Standing fast in the faith. Satan can attack you all he wants. He can come against you all you want. But if you resist him and you are steadfast in the faith, he will not win. And even though there might be suffering, verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. Know that you aren't alone. People all around the world suffer. Christians suffer the same as non-believers suffer. In fact, I believe that, that at times, because of the discipline of God, we may suffer more than they do because God wants, loves us, and wants to work good things out in our lives. And he says in verse 10 about the suffering, but may the God of all grace, and by the way, he could have said anything there, right? May the God of all justice, may the God of all power, May the God of all, you put it in there, fill it in. Any of them would be true. But he says, may the God of all grace. Grace is undeserved favor. God moving on your behalf, my behalf, not because we deserve it, but because God just wants to bless you. Just wants to give it to you. I would rather have grace than anything I've earned. Because once I, if I'm getting a payment for something that I've earned, if I've gone out and done something for God and say, okay, God, you owe me now, give it to me then that's limited. But the grace of God is unlimited. God can continue to pour his grace down over and over and over again and has no restrictions. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. That reminds me of the passage that says that the sufferings of this world are not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. We've been called into eternity by Christ Jesus. It says, after you have suffered for a while... Perfect, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That God uses the suffering in our lives to perfect us, to establish us so we won't be moved, to strengthen us so we will be effective with the gospel, and to settle us. Because sometimes we just need to be settled. And then he kind of breaks out into praise. This is the very end of Peter's letter. He says, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he he says, by Silvanus, and this is Silvanus who begins to write here, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. Now, we've been in the book of 1 Peter for a long time, but it really is brief. You can just sit down and read this letter in just a little bit of time. It's just that Peter says so much. In other words, Peter's telling us in verse 12 that he didn't hand write the letter. The letter was written by him, and it was written by Silvanus. Silvanus is another name for Silas. Paul and Silas were missionary partners. So Paul, Silas, Barnabas, Peter, Timothy, all those guys worked together as a team in bringing the gospel during that first time. So he says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elected together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Now, John Mark, who also knew Paul and Barnabas, John Mark ended up writing a gospel. The gospel of Mark is from this Mark. And Mark is most likely writing Peter's gospel. He's writing the things that Peter told him. But he says here something that's really mysterious. It's, one of, it's the most mysterious thing in First Peter, and some consider it to be one of the most mysterious things in all the Bible. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you. What does he mean? Babylon is an actual city in these days. When this letter was written, Babylon was a city. It could have been that he was talking about the church in Babylon. She who is in Babylon elected together with you, greets you. So could it be the, the church in Babylon that would elect to, to, to greet you? He might be using Babylon as a reference to Rome. If he does, then we have mystery Babylon in the book of Revelation. and That might give us some insight into it. He might be using Babylon in reference to Jerusalem, as some believe. Really? We don't know. It's just one of those mysterious things. It just is kind of odd. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. And finally, he closes out the letter by saying, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, they were in a very kissy culture. We do not live in a kissy culture. And I can say I'm glad to live in the culture that I'm in. There are other cultures today, right? A lot of Latin cultures, a lot of Hispanic cultures. Well, they'll come up and they'll give you a peck on the the cheek. Same thing with Europe. They'll come and give you a peck on the cheek. I don't know how many years ago it was now, four or five years ago now. I'm getting done teaching here and I'm talking to somebody here and I turn around to a guy who sees me and he says, Hello, brother. And he kisses me on the cheek. And when he kisses me, his beard rubs up against me, which was like, and then when he was done, my cheek was wet. And it took all the power in me not to go, what are you doing? Thinking about why are you kissing me? The very next week he came up again. And I saw him coming and I gave him one of these things. I turned completely sideways to him and I put out my hand. Good to see you, yeah. It was all defense, 100%. <laughs> I don't wanna kiss you, guys or girls, okay? neither one that's not our culture we're a huggy culture hugs are good we're a huggy culture we're a sometimes a handshaking culture however this really does speak of the love that we are to have for one another that we are to really care about each other really love each other I believe it is just a enormous part of Christianity that we have love for the brethren If you haven't taken time to get to know some people in Christ to really develop those relationships, then take some time to develop them. The Bible says that if you say you love God, but you hate the brethren, then you're a liar and you deceive yourself. If you love God, then you're going to love the brethren. And I believe that we need to have that tenderness. In fact, I believe it's our strongest tool in evangelism. The Bible says, and they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So when they see the love that we have for one another, then they will know that you are my disciples. So yes, I did say that verse 14 was a cultural verse. And I realize that some people have problems with that. And if you guys want to go around kissing each other, go ahead, just don't kiss me. (laughs) I'll hug you. All right, let's pray. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. And we really do want there to be a special bond between us. We want there to be a love. We want to be there for one another, truly move in each other's lives. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, take these truths and work them in us. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If practical Christian living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you email us at saved at And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on Gun 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.